You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. So, uh, if you are joining us live, thank you. We have so much to talk about uh, this evening, unlike two Ooh. weeks ago, where we you know, <laughs> were so worried about moving too far into the book that we kept it super short, like right at an hour, and uh, we hadn't really had any new news about Shadow and Bone at the time, but now we have all of the Shadow and Bone news, I mean, that we're probably going to get for a while anyway, too. So, um, normally we would kick off with a recap of what we have just read, which tonight will be uh, the second half of Crooked Kingdom, but because we had all the uh, Shadow and Bone stuff today, we are actually going to start with that. Um, so I, I know it was actually kind of funny. Entertainment Weekly had their big like article that went up, you know, I think it was around 9 a.m. East Coast time this morning uh, where they were like exclusive shadow and bone, you know, photo set photos and stuff like that. Uh, but the funny thing is the website that I write for from time to time, the Geekiary, got those same exact photos like <laughs> so yes, AEW, they were exclusive for like three hours or something. <laughs> like I, I found that kind of amusing. Um honestly, like and in this day and age, uh they're promo photos, so it's not like anybody couldn't have just used them anyway. But um, so did you guys all uh go through like the article and check out the the set photos and the character posters and everything? So I personally didn't super read the article because I was unfortunately mm -hmm. already in work when this started, but I have just been staring at the photos all day because I can just change my desktop background to be whatever I like and stare at it as I do, you know, work stuff versus, you know, reading miscellaneous articles. But oh my God, I'm so happy. Like on the one hand, we still haven't seen any Keftas, but like what we did see is like the attention to detail is beyond anything I mm -hmm. get. And just the production quality is so mm -hmm. high. I like, oh my God, I, it's like my wildest dreams come true. It's like, I couldn't have hoped for anything this good. And it is that good. And like, granted, none of it is exactly what I had pictured, but like, obviously that's never going to be the case. We all have individual imaginations and like, obviously we're all going to picture things very differently, but what they came up with, like, you could see that they really cared what they were doing here and they paid attention and it's just, and I've just been drooling over Mel's great coat like this whole time. And Ooh, just yeah. that, that coat he wears, it's gorgeous. It's just, oh, it makes me want to go back to tailoring. It's so pretty. And I just <laughs> pay attention to detail of like the um, uniform that, Alina wears her cartographer's uniform is beautiful like the patch with and like the patch is so pretty and like all the hints of blue in the actual mm -hmm. army uniforms and of course her scarf with like the gold trim I'm like I see what y'all did there like all right mm -hmm. okay. and especially since we know that uh that we're not gonna get like um she's not in that uniform for very long you know yeah, what I mean? Like exactly. we might get what a, an episode, maybe two. I and would guess that her, you know, her yeah. thing on the fold is going to happen 
it's it has to happen within the first two episodes. I, I don't understand how mm-hmm. it definitely first episode, like unquestioning, uh, unquestioning. Yep, first, first episode. It has to be the first episode. Otherwise, you're not going to get enough forward momentum with the story to like make it be yeah. eight episodes for this first part. And I think the thing that I like so much about the fact that they put so much detail into her that outfit is that you know that like you know the first army is going to be around in the whole story because obviously they're still going to be in Ravka. So it shows that like even when they're not there, they're still going to have like a good like base outfit to go off of which makes me very happy and i just oh i love how they all look it's just so pretty um i love everything about what jesper is wearing everything mm-hmm. about it. i will say i did not expect Inej to look the way that she did but the way that she does look is so good that i'm like all right okay i like it like it wasn't what i had seen her in personally i had pictured her something in more like ninja gymnast vibes but yeah. the more like tailored <laughs> for, those who can't, for those who are listening to this instead of watching this i'm just making a lost <laughs> hand gesture because i don't really know what her outfit genre is but it's very good and i just got <laughs> i want to gush over jesper's outfit choices a bit just because i love everything they gave him and he looks so dapper and so yes, handsome and i Basically stared at his poster and and Inej's, like, their promo posters forever. Because Inej's poster, it shows her in a different outfit. And she's got these, like, beautiful sleeves that have some sort of design on them. I don't know what's up. I just love them. They're so pretty. And she's holding her knife. And she's all like, knife. And and then Jennifer is just him with his guns crossed in front of him with that smirk. And I'm like. Oh, yeah. Very, very Jesper. Just so good. So good. Like, none of them look like what I would have thought, but they all look so good that now my thought is, how did I picture anything else before? I think the only one who I really had like a, huh, okay, moment about was Enish. The rest of them, I, I think they they are very close to, maybe maybe Mal doesn't quite look like what I would thought, but I still, I didn't really like have like a, Hmm, moment about it like I did with Inej but it's that could just be like you said like I was I was really expecting like the little sort of plain ninja you know and and she's not as like small small as I was expecting um <laughs> but like uh you know it, it, but other than that like it's just it's like oh okay so we went a little sexier with her all right, all right. it's not even like I wouldn't even say sexier it's more like we went a little more fashion with yeah. Versus mm-hmm. just like straight up like ninja but make it purple. <laughs> That's easily what it could have been, like ninja but make it purple. And this is like fashion but make it ninja. And I like the I like the potential of the idea. Yeah. I like I like the potential of the idea. And I just I really love love loved her sleeves in that promo picture. I literally stared at that for like three hours today before I remembered that other people existed. And then I other characters. And then somebody was like, the Dark League has sexy rings. And then I just stared at his hands for a bit. And I'm like, indeed he does. Indeed. Sorry guys, I have a lot of like costuming thoughts in general. Oh no, no, that's, I mean, that's a good perspective because like that's, I mean, I definitely, I caught the costumes, but I definitely don't have like the eye for that that I know you do. So for me, it was more about just like overall character look expressions, um, definitely Mm -hmm. like the way they're dressed, but not the real like specifics of it. Um, 
you know, and, and I, I did not really read, read the article. Like I started to sort of, to, I, I think I read the first few paragraphs, but when they went into the paragraph about the darkling who they're still calling um, General Kerrigan, I was like, eh, I don't really need to read this. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to know ahead of time what's going to be different, really. So, <laughs> also, I think I, I haven't really mentioned Nina and Matthias yet, just because there isn't much to mention. Except I kind of laughed at how miserable they look because big mood Valentin. Because I'm ninety nine percent sure the Nina Matthias story we're getting is their shipwrecked meeting, and I'm like, I'm like, mm -hmm, this fits. Another thing I do want to mention, um, and somebody I do want to sort of credit in here is that so a lot of the thoughts that i've had about the costumes have been like you know um further sort of coherented they have been made coherent by one of my uh one of the people i follow on instagram i was gonna say friend but i don't actually know them in person um they're a really talented cosplayer and costumer um uh wood smoke and words and they do an awesome Kaz cosplay and they also are like an actual hat maker, an actual milliner, like trained and like worked on like and works on stuff for like movies and productions and stuff. And so they have like a really good like historical base of knowledge. And one thing that they pointed out is that, you know, like the actual like time and style of clothing that you can draw from for something like Six of Crows and Shadow and Bone is really broad and crazy because there aren't any actual like 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 specifics of time frame and like the only thing that you really do sort of have a specific on is kind of how the gangbangers dress in um in Kirch and this is specifically from like 1840s gangsters because of the description of how the gangsters wore like overly gaudy things and like plaid trousers and like brocade jackets and like Jesper's whole style in general. So I'm hoping that they maybe bring a little bit of that into it, but also if they don't like super valid and like, I get it, like it's a weird design choice and it's a weird like detail that Lee includes anyway. I do hope that we get more color in Jesper's clothes because that would be fun. And Jesper deserves to wear all the gaudy clothing he wants, but yeah. Those are my brain thoughts, and I'm going to stop now before. Yeah, I, I don't. I definitely don't want them to go. That was one of my concerns was that they would go darker with this than like I really wanted or expected. Um, yeah. So so far, it doesn't really seem like they're leaning that way. I mean, I have seen some leaked photos of the keftas, so I do uh, know a little bit about what those are probably going to look like. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't. I, I would hope that with Jesper too, they're going to give him those. Yeah. Some pop. Like, granted, it can be a dark story at times, but there are so many bright colors naturally included in this world that it would be a shame to not have that reflected in, in the costuming. And a part of that, obviously, you know, is going to be the Grisha's keftas, and that's going to be a big portion of it. But I think that having, like, the colorful aesthetic of all the gangs in Ketterdam is going to be just, like, another layer of, like, otherworldly it's going to sort of present the otherworldly wildness that the gangs do have in Ketterdam and like yeah. their like excessiveness yeah. compared to everything else and I just oh so good I'm so happy I've just been staring at these pictures like y'all don't understand yesterday was a shit day and today I was like ready for it to continue to be shit because I was still kind of in a mood and then these pictures dropped and I was like yes <laughs> I woke up to them so I was like ah 
I guess that's the one good thing about uh, being on West Coast time is that when I woke up at 6 a.m., they were already existing in the world. Oh, yeah. No, like you messaged us. And I was like, what's this? What's happening? Because I was I was literally at work trying to put what's out a fire. What's this? There's magic everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that squeak, y'all. But like the hype. All right. All right. So we have uh, dudes, the dude guys on the show. <laughs> well, I, I'm embarrassed to admit I, I didn't see any of the pictures until 30 seconds ago when I just glanced at them. Um, I had a, uh, yeah, I think you've been busy today. <laughs> a swamped day at work of which I felt like I was the one man in 12 angry men trying to persuade uh, people to do the right thing. And I don't know if I succeeded or not, but at least I delayed the inevitable a day. Uh, <laughs> So I, I still have be hope. Laughing, but so I still have hope, and I feel that if I get my way on this, my career has meaning. And if I don't, uh, well, it's not that it has no meaning, but this would be a <laughs> a big accomplishment if if I get my way, and I absolutely am convinced I'm right and everyone else is wrong. But I don't know if it's going to happen. So. A very cat wrecker of you. <laughs> Where, where's your cane, John? Come on. Uh, I felt like I needed one today. I wanted to wrap some knuckles, but uh... <laughs> maybe no cane for you then. That's a bit dangerous in your hand. Um. So. So yeah. I mean, any any other than like the costume stuff. Um. I. I one of the things that I uh, had mentioned, like in the document that we you know use was which we've already kind of talked about everything looks very well done it doesn't look cheap at all at least so far um i don't i don't really think there are and there's any really chance any really big chance that they skimped like for real skimped um there was a leaked photo of what is very probably the darklings carriage that only had one horse <gasps> but like as we game of thrones people know horses are expensive to have on tv shows or in movies that they're, they're, they're not just getting the horses themselves because they have to be mm -hmm. so well trained and they cost a crap ton but then the insurance and then if the people who are acting don't know how to ride them you either have to pay to help them learn or get stunts you know, you know, extra stunt people and stuff. So um, I, I think it's like getting rid of some horses is a very inconsequential way to save money. And like, just looking at the photos today, they clearly didn't skim from the costume department, which is, I, that can, that can honestly be, I, I look at Bridgerton, that can be such a huge aesthetic mm -hmm. of, of a show that might not otherwise be like the most amazing thing ever that I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the days of skimping on costumes actually are, Go, are going the way of the dinosaur because with 4k everything is so clear that if you skimp on the costumes it will just look awful now let's hope they don't skimp on lighting too um so yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing is uh, that this is something I saw someone point out on the Grisha vs. subreddit, which I have been, uh, I would say haunting, but that's not really the case. I have been stalking it for the past week. Uh, and I, that might have actually been, I think I had a Reddit notification about something else. And when I opened Reddit, the top thing on my Reddit newsfeed was a post from the Grisha vs. sub with the link to the EW article. So I'm pretty sure that's where I first saw it. Um, so yay. Uh, thank you, Grisha, for subreddit. But uh, someone mentioned, you know, the fact that they did a staggered 
they're doing, they're clearly doing a staggered marketing campaign, which they don't do for a lot of their shows. I mean, mm-hmm. they had that, that Winx fairy show that was released like last week or something. And Ooh, I yeah. had no idea they were even doing it until it showed up on my Netflix as being available. Um, you know, so, so, you know, and, and there's, you know, yes, they had an EW exclusive, but as I already mentioned, I, I mean, wasn't really exclusive. They, they dropped it with EW and said, get this up. They probably said, get this up by 9 a.m. because immediately after that, we're sending it to everybody else. Because the article yeah. on EW's website, I think was posted at like, I actually double checked when my uh, coworker at the Geeky Erie said she had the photos. Uh, it was posted at like 8.57 a.m. this morning. Um, but yeah, the-, the 8.59. Was it 8.59? They probably yeah. were told, sorry, I have to close this door. It's getting loud. I'm sure there was a 9 a.m. embargo. Yeah, yeah. And and so, like, but this is still, you know, so the EW exclusive, it's cool that they sent those to EW and that EW rushed to post them too. But, like, the staggered marketing campaign, I think, is really hopefully going to be important for this, um, you know, because, like, again, like, people need to know it's coming and, and get excited about it. Because while these books are certainly very popular, in especially like YA circles, um, I'll be honest, like the fandom that I have noted both in the subreddit and on Facebook seems to be uh, very European based. Um, Interesting. Like very European based. Um, and it could be just foreign based in general. Um, but a lot of the people posting, especially in the Facebook group, there's a lot of comments about like reading it and how in several different languages and living in you know, Europe, Eastern Europe, et cetera. So, um, and, and that could just be, those are the people that happen to, uh, those are the fans that happen to seek out these groups more than anything. Um, but I do, I, it's something I've noted. And I think that if the fandom isn't as big in the U S uh, you know, they hopefully know they need to push it a little bit more here. Um, but, but yeah, this, I mean, we had the teaser trailer, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was right before or right after New Year's. And and now we have, uh, you know, the set photos and, and the posters. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll have a full trailer, you know, well mm-hmm. in advance. Uh, but, I mean, it, we know now the show is not coming out until April 23rd, which, ugh, that screws my schedule up a little bit. But, <laughs> or, well, our schedule as a whole. But, um I was really thinking, like, when they said April, especially since this show has been shooting and in production for so yeah. long, I was really thinking, like, first Friday in April. Uh, but no, or it's, like, second to last. Um, so April 23rd. So, I mean, yeah. Any thoughts about the marketing or, or like, how you think it's going to be received? Or, or people are gonna- One of the things I really loved, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't made this connection before, but they were in the article, which I only skimmed, they refer to Six of Crows particularly as Ocean's Eleven meets Game of Thrones. And I feel like that's such a good analogy. Like, that's a great way to sell. It is a great, I don't know if it's the part. best. I don't know if it's the best analogy. I don't know if comparing it to Game of Thrones is the best analogy necessarily, but it is a very good, it, yeah. it, it works just enough. It's a very mm-hmm. good analogy to sell it to an audience who hasn't read the books for sure. Exactly. Uh, you're absolutely right. Like it's not Game of Thrones, obviously, but I do think it's a fantastic marketing technique. And well, 
I love to see that in part because I do think that that's one of the ways that they are thinking of it in terms of positioning for marketing, which I think is very clever. Yeah. I mean, I actually think it is a good way to to market it, to mention Game of Thrones. Oh, no, it absolutely is a good way to market it. Because for 90% of the potential audience, um, their only idea of fantasy is Tolkien, now Game of Thrones, and maybe Harry Potter. I mean, mm -hmm. that that's it. So anything else, if you compare it to anything else, that will go over their heads. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> guess you can sort of compare Shadow and Bone a little bit more to Harry Potter because you've got the, the, the school and the chosen one and the really bad, bad guy, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, I mean, it's a like the Game of Thrones comparison. It's very loose. I, I think what what they're trying to say is it's Ocean's Eleven, but in a sort of dark and gritty fantasy world, you know. But please don't go all Game of Thrones on it, you know. Like I, there are things I, you know, I, I I know we had. I think we all had some complaints about the Shadow about about the original Creature trilogy, where like oh, not enough characters died and stuff like that. But at the same time. <laughs> Like it's still YA, and while I don't necessarily, you know, expect them to follow the very YA tropey stuff in the in the show that they did in the books, so like I'd be okay with that. Like I also don't want them to make it so dark that like I, there there are like there's enough bad about the relationship between the Darkling and Alina. We don't need to make it worse. I'm not yeah, even no, say I, how they would, but I think it's implied how they could. So. Yeah, I don't think that they are going to. I, I hope rather that they're not going to try to make it more Game of Thronesy. I think it's just a good way to draw people in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so it's like well, well, comparing it to Game of Thrones is not accurate. I I don't agree with that comparison. I still think it's a very good way that it is could be Game of Thrones adjacent enough that for the uneducated viewer, they'd be like, all right, yeah, let's try it. And then they'd, see it and they'd be like, this is a Game of Thrones, but I enjoy it because it is Ocean's Eleven. Mm -hmm. Well, as someone who preferred the the caper part of these novels to the fantasy war sect type part of the novels, I, um, I would push the Ocean's Eleven myself. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I would too. And I, honestly, I, I, while I have certainly seen, you know, people in, in posting both in the subreddit, but mostly in the Facebook groups who preferred um, the original Grisha trilogy, the, the general consensus seems to be everybody knows that the duology is better. Yeah. Because, um, like, don't get me wrong, original trilogy is good, but it's also, like, cookie-cutter fantasy and our cool and our drawing is that we take place in a Russian inspired fantasy place instead of a European inspired yeah, fantasy place. Yeah. Like that's that's basically it. And if if all you want is a cookie cutter fantasy, like by all means, ain't nothing wrong with for that. But like, don't pretend that the cookie cutter fantasy is better than the elaborately thought out heist that also takes place in a fantasy world <laughs> with a widely diverse cast of characters because uh spoilers the second one is better <laughs> well i mean and on that note any last uh any last thoughts on the releases the the the, the releases that we got today before we move into our crooked kingdom recap and discussion just that i'm so excited like i was already I excited for this series but seeing these pictures was just like Mm, I'm ready. 
I was kind of wondering if I was going to be able to get like Dean into it, you know, not that he would hate it necessarily, mm -hmm. but I was like, ah, oh, is he really going to like this, you know? But no, like now that I'm seeing, I'm like, no, I think there's a lot about this. And, and especially yeah. if they, especially if they kind of push the best parts and maybe mute, especially with the original trilogy, some of the more uh, tropey YA stuff. I, I think that, I think that it's, it's got so much potential. I mean, and, and Lee, Lee's comment about it being like fan, like like everybody's best fan fiction or, or of the of the books, that that does concern me a little bit because we got like mm -hmm. everybody's worst fan fiction with Game of Thrones. Um, so at any time <laughs> somebody's like, "Oh, this show is more like a fan fiction yeah. of my works," so I'm gonna be like, "Oh no!" But uh, as somebody who still reads an absurd amount of fan fiction and who regularly goes through and makes the effort to find the good shit, oh, I know, I know, oh, there's yeah, good fan fiction, but like. But like hearing that makes me feel relieved because honestly, the only times that bad fan fiction really comes into it is when it's so bad it's laughable, like that final season of Game of Thrones or My Immortal. But like, but like the odds of them making it laughably bad fan fiction, I would legitimately stab myself, especially because Lee's been on board with this. And yes, yeah. as much as I know that like, you know, nobody's perfect, I'm sure I'm still not gonna be perfectly happy with everything. Like I trust Lee and I trust that she having her hands so fully in this the entire time. And also she is a fabricator extra in one scene, but just, oh, I and I also, I also did enjoy this marketing because we got shirtless Mel and Archie's very, 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 he's very cute, but he's also a baby. So I don't know how I feel about that. But I don't know how old, I don't know how old any of them are. So I'm just refraining from commenting on their attractiveness. Oh, a child. <laughs> well, okay. That's, that's, that's at least the point where I can be like, oh, that oh, person yeah. is attractive. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, all, <laughs> they're all like actual adults. Well, Thank all right. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess with on that note, on that note, we can we do have some uh, sagas and sass discussion about future episodes that we'll cover at the very end. But for now, we are going to move on to the second half of Crooked Kingdom. Uh, so to kick off our recap, Nami. Thanks. So, oof. We left things on some gut punches and cliffhangers, y'all. So it's past time to dive back in. The crew has set up their plan to take down Van Eck and get the Grisha, get the Grisha out of Ketterdam. It involves a three-pronged strategy. Kaz and Wylan are going to steal Van Eck, are going to to Van X to steal. Steal Van X seal. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a lot of eels in a sentence. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of eels. Cass and Wiley are going after the eels. They're going to steal Van <laughs> seal so they can forge documents and get them and the Grisha out on one of Van X's own ships. Meanwhile, Enedge and Nina are headed to the grain silos to destroy the sugar supply that Van X stores there to both incriminate him and to drive up the price of sugar. Finally, Kat Jesper, Matthias, and Matthias are guarding Kuwait at the hideout, and they plan to take him to the rendezvous point. But not surprisingly, things quickly go bad. The hideout is attacked almost as soon as everybody leaves, and Matthias, Jesper, and Kuwait are pinned down. It looks like the Dime Lions have found out their location, and one of Pekka Rollins' lieutenants has led a squad to kill them and take Kuwait. 
Meanwhile, at the silos, Inej is attacked by a deadly young woman named Dunyasha. She has a lot of the same skills as Inej, but was trained by assassins and also maybe has blood ties to the Ravikan throne? Inej is badly beaten and nearly falls to her death. Meanwhile, Nina is attacked by more dime lions. She tries to call on her powers, but she can't sense anything until she grabs onto something. It turns out they are dead bodies. Ooh, apparently surviving the withdrawal from Jurapurum has invented, inverted her powers, and now she can control the dead. Holy fuck. But at least she's able to use them to protect herself and save Inej. Meanwhile, Kaz and Wyland steal the seal, while Van Eck is hosting a dinner party downstairs, hopefully not feeding on seal, with all the movers and shakers in the city. Bold, but as they do so, Pekka Rollins himself shows up with more of his gang to trap them. Kaz turns over the seal, but Wyland uses a bomb to blow up the floor, and they crash into the dining room, leaving everyone aghast, especially Wyland's father. Everyone manages to escape, but at this point we know that Pekka Rollins and Van Eck have teamed up, something Kaz was unprepared for, so as usual, their plans are in disarray. What do they do, you ask? Well, Kaz schemes, of course. So... They decide to auction off Kuwe's services. Under Ketterdom law, anyone can auction themselves off. Ew. <laughs> because the only true law is that of capitalism. Also, ew. <laughs> or whatever they call it in our fictional Ketterdom. As it happens, Zoya, Genya, Genya, and Nikolai are in town. So they're enlisted in the plot, and they all get some nice little moments, as does Jesper's father, who is helping the crows with their plans as well. But on the day of the auction, Vanek kidnaps and tortures Wyland, his fucking son, because he's a damn monster. For a moment, it seems as if Wyland has given up the whole plot. Or has he? Then, as Inej gets in place for her part, she's once again attacked by Dinyasha, who she has dubbed her shadow. Thankfully, this time, Inej is prepared and ultimately overcomes this apparent red herring of a plot device and kills her. So at least Inej won't be stopped. But the danger isn't over yet. We uh, start to get the sense that Van Eck and Pekka Rollins may have outmaneuvered the crows again, considering that when the auction begins, Van Eck looks smug as hell. Seriously, we all hate him. Cass seems unbothered, though. What's going on? Just as things get started, the Council of Tides shows up. No one thought they would. They claim that the auction has been rigged, and Van Eck thinks they mean Kaz, until they accuse Vanek himself of being in league with the shoe. Vanek is thrown completely off guard and they proceed to show the entire city how horrible he is, including having Wyland show up bloodied and bruised, leaving everyone disgusted with how horribly Van Ick, which is my new name for him, by the way, Van Ick, <laughs> treats his son. Because as it turns out, Wyland overcame his learning disabilities and used some tricks to prove he was competent, humiliating his father in the process. This tore up our hearts and made us weep, and if you didn't, you have no soul. Just FYI or whatever. Vanek is arrested for his crimes, and Wyland takes over his business and properties. Kaz bluffs Pekka Rollins into thinking his son is buried alive and humiliates him in the process. Kaz hadn't even never seen the kid, but Pekka is thoroughly beaten. Everything is turned up crows. During the ensuing chaos, Jesper shoots and kills Kue. It's all fake, so people think Kue is dead, and he can live in peace. Unfortunately... While chaos still reigns, Matthias is confronted by a young fjord in Druskela and shot. He dies in Nina's arms, and so she brings him back to life with her new powers. But she knows that it's only a shadow of him, not the real man that he lo she loves, and so she lets him die. Poor Nina. The crows all get little send-offs in the end, lovely ways to tie up their stories. Jesper is helping Wyland run the Vanek Empire. Inej is planning on taking down the slave traders, and Kaz gives her a ship called the Wraith. 
Nina plans a journey to Fjorda to send Matthias off. Kaz? It's revealed that the Council of Tides was really Zoya, Genya, and Nikolai, but the real council does visit Kaz in person. He basically blows them off in traditional Kaz fashion, and he also finds an edge parents for her and admits his true feelings, or it's as much as Kaz Brecker can do such a thing. And I'm going to jump back in here because for anybody who loves Edge, the final chapter where she confronts Pekka Rollins is pure gold. <sighs> what an amazing and wild ride and one that made us all laugh, cry, and shout in joy as the crows finish their story, at least for now. Okay, so, um, you know, we, we it was so hard to not, like, spoil things two weeks ago when we were doing mm -hmm. this, but, like, I, I think we've all, I, we were discussing um, before we started that there are somehow actually people out there that think this book wasn't great. Um, personally, I think that I, 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 I do agree with something Nami said um, before we went live about, yes, it, it does get a bit of a slow start, uh, but you know, as a whole, I mean, I, I think a big part of this is that it wraps up their story and it does it so well that, uh, you know, it, I personally think that this is a, you know, not hugely better book, but definitely at least a slightly better book than Six of Crows. Um, but again, that could be my fondness for seeing things, you know, wrapped up. Um, in, in, a, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that colored this book for me when I was initially starting it is that, first of all, I did read the original trilogy between these because I had major anxiety about how they were going to pull off Rescue Mean Edge. And I do this thing where if I get nervous about something happening in a book, I just either put it down or read the spoiler so I could get over the anxiety and finally finish it. It's very bad. I spoil so many things for myself voluntarily. And it's, it's fine. At this point, I've just resigned myself to being this way. But with this book, I didn't do that. And I just kept putting off reading it for so long that when I finally started reading it at the end, and the, like, the beginning was a little bit slow the first time around, I remember just being like, mm. but then by the time I got to the middle, I like remember it took me like, it took me like a few months to read like the first two, like the first like part or two parts. And then once I got to like part three slash four, I just like sped through the whole book in a night. and. I think that because it does have a slightly slower start, then people are like, oh, it's a bad book. And I'm like, uh, no, shut the, shut the F up. Or what does Jesper say when he's always about to curse? I don't know. He says something. It's it's not a curse. <laughs> he says it and he's, oh, he says, he says something like about being like cooked or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. He says, he says, yeah, you're, I'm, I'm well and truly cooked. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I feel that Jesper. Yes, that is the word that we use. <laughs> also, I would like to just throw out an aside. For the second half of this book, I had completely forgotten the episode was today. So I like just like use my free audible to get the audiobook of it. And the audiobook is so good. They have it's different so actors. good. Yeah. They have different actors for each of the different crows. And it's just it's really, really great. And you really get to feel the characters and experience them differently because of that. And that's also why you're going to see some pretty surprising, you're going to hear some pretty surprising takes for me later. It's going to be So that's actually how I read, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> both books of the duology is 
I got them on Audible and listened to them because they do that really awesome thing where every character has its own voice. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. yeah I, is that I true am, with all... Like... Oh, sorry. Is, no, no, is that ahead. true with all um, the Audible books? They have different voices for different characters or just certain books? I truly don't know because this is the first audiobook I've ever actually done. I'm not usually an audiobook person and I only did it because I didn't have time for a visual read this time so really kind of depends on the book yeah it, it depends on the book like i know that um uh the red rising saga which we will eventually cover but but probably much later when it's it's more like foreseeable that the final book will come out um like the original audiobooks the first three Red Rising books are all from the main character Darrow's perspective but the uh sec the second half of the series that so far the fourth and fifth books are they have different POV chapters so like for the first three books it's all one voice but for the fourth and fifth books it's different voices but I'm pretty sure that for Game of Thrones they don't have like, like for Game of Thrones I'm, I'm yeah no it was one it was one one reader for the whole thing I know it's I know Roy Dodgers did it for some reason I feel like there might be another version of the iBooks but they might they might not even be one that's like legally available that, that might be something that but even then, I think it's still the same person reading. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, it, it depends. It depends on the book. Like even if there's multiple POVs, it, 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 I think it's actually more. I think it's been recently, like within the past several years, that audiobooks, when there's multiple POVs, have been more likely to cast different uh, readers versus in the past when they just kind of still stuck with the same person. Because um, yeah, a lot I'm of the sure a lot of the stuff I've tried to to listen to um had multiple povs and still didn't so. yeah and audible particularly has been doing more with like um different casts and things like they did a few different versions of some stories like i think neverwhere they did one where it was almost like an audio play um and a few other things like that they've been really experimenting with that which has been really cool to see um, but anyway, so, so audiobook for this is good. That's good to know. I, I personally have auditory processing issues, so audiobooks have just never really worked for me. I, I lose focus way too easily when I'm, when I'm just supposed to be listening to something. I'm also not great at listening to just straight up podcasts. For the same yeah, I, I'm really good at audio listening to the point where I listen, I, I listen to almost everything at two speeds. So being able to go up to 3.5 speed here felt like too much power. It was amazing. I really listened to the whole thing like so fast, but yeah, today was just a day where I had a lot of like fiddly building things to do with my hands. Cause I'm helping engineering now. And I'm just like hand tasks, brain empty, no thought. Ooh, put book in. Mm -hmm. For those um, who were listening, also, I just did like multiple hand flails. Great, <laughs> very. Awesome. If you if you listen to the podcasts, you really should at some point just like go back and watch some of the shows, mostly for Nami's faces and gestures because yeah. it's worth it. Hee <laughs> hee. Um. Well, so in general, like discussion. Um. This this happened more toward the. I think a lot of the stuff I. Put in here as discussion like points 
it was more toward like the end of the books, the end of the book. Um, and when I say end, like the sec, like like the end of the second half, maybe. But like, mm-hmm. how do we feel about Genya, Zoya, and Nikolai showing up? From a fan service, it was great. From a tactical standpoint, I thought it was a disaster. I cannot believe that the leader of a country would take his three most important people and take them to another country that's under siege. It just makes zero sense from a tactical standpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just- Jonathan is our tactics master. (laughs) The the sheer comedic and like chaotic value of Kaz and Nikolai as friends though is just so good. Nina, Nina at the very end being like, his the silhouette of Strumod kind of looks like a king, but that's batshit crazy. Is <laughs> Don being like, see, because it's batshit crazy, you don't do that. <laughs> this is why nobody understands that Superman and Color Ken are the same person. <laughs> no, that's because he has glasses. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. With Nikolai, it's what like they they like make his nose look well, a little like... different, and, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i i mean i i agree like it's like oh I, like from a fan service standpoint it's great but it does seem like oh my gosh really like i get like i get having like maybe genya and zoya and a couple other like important people that aren't that aren't on their level but like nikolai and genya genya gosh and zoya i'm, I'm it's gonna take me forever to remember to pronounce her name that way you know all at the same time especially Nikolai it's like oh god yeah I, think, I love it yeah. I love it yeah. but I also I'm like oh it's also well, I feel like they didn't have as much significance to this book as you know if you were going to insert these very important characters where it is potentially very tactically dangerous for them to not have as significant a part in the book's book itself it seems like not as good of payoff yeah and i will also say that one thing to keep in mind is that while we're like this is batshit crazy admittedly we don't have somebody who can just change our face to look like a different person and if i was like like fuck yeah i'd get out of here and run around and do whatever Mm -hmm. the heck i wanted if i can just have somebody like magically you know cast disguise self on me so i could just do what i want and like oh man i would love to have that for ice and fire con exactly right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, imagine the cosplay you could do if you had to well, that but yeah. also I'm, I'm like i'm just imagining being able to like or like go around ice and fire con and not have twenty thousand people stopping i mean that's 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 a huge oh, sure, I guess, like, if but you know I, i'm so popular and everybody oh i didn't mean it about being I'm popular i meant like tara why is this happening tara what is going on tara fix this tara do that <laughs> i'm not talking about being popular i'm talking about people wanting me to do things also fair also that's fair yeah i'm just the actual <laughs> but no i yeah, it's a terrible tactical decision, but we do have the advantage of a disguised self here. And I think yeah. I think it does kind of make sense though to send somebody like Strumhond to a place like Kirch to deal. If that makes sense. Because like privateer and the reputation of being cutthroat in a place like Kirch makes mm-hmm. sense. But don't also send Zoya and Genya. Like right, what? Yeah. but I understand yeah. that the reason that Genya was there was to fix Kuwait's face <laughs> or Wylan's face and that Zoya was there to be like, oh my daughter Nina, what the fuck mm-hmm. have you done with your life? 
And, mm-hmm. But you could also have sent anyone and said they were Strumhound. I mean, but no one knew who Strumhound is, so. But then they yeah. not Strumhound, John. You, you know how much of a control freak Nikolai is? Like, would he really want that fly? He absolutely would not let that fly. He gets hives just thinking about that. I get hives just thinking about that. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, just moving on because we have so much stuff we want to talk about. Uh, what about uh, Nina's loss of her actual, like, corporalki powers and her you know, gaining this power to essentially control the dead. Like, I will this, will this actually, I mean, now we saw how it could be useful in a pressing situation where she happened to have a pile of dead bodies, you know, to, to work with. Uh, but like in, in the general sense of things, like how will she make this, will, will she be able to make this useful so that she can still, you know, she'll still be able to be like a spy for sure. You know, she can still um, act and stuff like that and have other people tailor her and whatnot. But like she has lost the ability to to do these so many things herself. I mean, even even healing, even though she wasn't great at it, you know, because she was a heart render, like she still had that capability and now she has none of those. And basically, as far as we know, all she can do is control the dead or pieces of them. So I mean, I, well, she's already done it in a pretty big way, though. And I would say with the Rovkins' obsessions with collecting the bones of saints, like, mm-hmm. kind of got this in the bag, right? Just carry around a whole Santa Alita skeleton with you. Like, let's go. Also, <laughs> this is coming from the point of view of somebody who has recently read, like, a necromancy space opera story. Are you, are you reading Harrow the Ninth? I, yes, it's Harrow the Ninth. I'm in the middle of that too. Oh, yes. But so <laughs> if anybody has read Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth, you'll know that Harrow, one of the main characters, is a necromancer. And she literally wears like a skeleton rib cage on herself at all, at, at all times. And she's like, yeah, you know what? Bone dust up your nose. Take it, bitch. And yeah, John can, yeah. I, I think John can back me up here that that is pretty much the Harrow attitude. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's. <laughs> It's one of the things that, like, you know, like, I sense a lot more grave robbing in her future, unfortunately. But I think she's resourceful enough to make these powers really good and really useful for her. The thing that I thought about a lot, actually, with this was her struggle with, like, what her Grisha powers now mean. Because of all Mm -hmm. the dialogue about how Grisha are the connection to life, like, the reason that Grisha thrive when they use their powers and the reason they fade away when they don't use their powers is because their powers are life so having a power now that is life but is so explicitly tied to death just like the conflict that comes with with her for that and there's a part where matthias like notes how even though she's using these powers of death using them still makes her like lively and full of life like using normal grisha powers does and I'm just wondering if she will be able to make that connection because like she's got death so around her now and like the conflict of what her Grisha upbringing tells her her power should be and like this like I'm there's a great word here that I could use and and this but I can't find it and this new manifestation of her powers that is so against everything that she has learned that her power should be Mm. and I think that's a really interesting dynamic because I think I think Nina's smart and she's resourceful and she is powerful so she's definitely going to find a way to make this useful and she's definitely going to be as much of a powerful 
Grisha as she's always been. Of that, I have no doubt. I just worry for her sanity now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would worry for my own sanity. Too. Worry for my yeah, I mean, my assumption was once she trains herself better and understands the powers better, it could be very useful. I mean, you just grab some bones and pieces of bone and have them with you. And, and, and there's usually dead bodies or at least graveyards somewhere. So you just, I mean, she could probably sense them and just raise them out of the ground. Once she Although I would becomes... hesitate to, I, I would hesitate to just like, it's one thing to like do it off the barge or whatever, or the, the, you know, where they haven't actually, they're never actually going to be properly buried and there's no one that's going to be trying to come like, like see their graves. So another thing to like, raise the bodies of the dead from like a proper graveyard and like hence the moral quandary but but i mean yeah. it does i don't know if it's clear whether it has to be human dead it could be animal dead i mean they'll be in the woods i mean i just think you can you can find a you can find a use for this skill yeah you're right <laughs> I, I, that's actually a that's that's an interesting question because like we don't i don't think we've ever heard of about Corporalki, not at least, and I could have missed something somehow. To be fair, but like I don't think we've ever heard about corporalki and whether or not they can affect or heal animals. Yeah, it's never been explicitly said or not said, so no idea. Yeah, so a question. Yeah, that's 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 so, and and also like even if they couldn't, wouldn't wouldn't Nina be able to? I mean, I would guess not. I would guess that if their powers only apply to humans, hers would too, but. Yeah, that's that's an interesting. That's actually an interesting thing. I would like Lee to clarify: Is there any from effects? a biology POV? Flesh is flesh. Come at me, bro. Right, <laughs> right. And and um, I, I, I honestly maybe maybe there will be more of that that we can get into after reading like Lives of the Saints because I have been reading that lately. I I might need to go back and kind of piece some things together from that and see if there's any hints there that, that they can affect animals as well. But I don't, at this point, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think there's been any clarification that they do, that they can or cannot affect animals. But I don't know if somebody's listening to this at some point and, and thinks otherwise, like, please like contact us on Twitter or something. I would, I would love to know if I missed something. Um, okay. So, uh, we have a few other things to, to get through, uh, including thoughts about Jesper and Kaz's fight, and uh, Jes or Jesper and Colm's fight, like Jesper kissing the wrong boy. Is Jesper okay? For, for reference, this wasn't actually in the initial document, but I... I, I like that you added it. No, no me right. <laughs> I had to add this because just... The journey that Jesper takes, like, in that chapter pretty much ranges from, like, aggressive fight with his best friend, heart to heart with his father, like, crisis about being a bad son, hyped up on adrenaline, kisses the boy he's been pining about, turns around, it's the wrong boy! <laughs> and I'm just, it's, <sighs> it's just so disaster bisexual brand that I, I did yeah. with it way too much and I was just watching this whole like clusterfuck of a mess go down and I was like just shaking my head and worried for this child but well I think that Jesper's fight with Kaz is kind of honestly Kaz has been he's been like over the top like a jerk to Jesper like mm -hmm. about a very kind of 
simple mistake that he made. And at this point in the last book, like, dude, at some point, get over it. Like, I get that Cass has to think that, like, I mean, I, yeah, I sort of get it. We have to remember that didn't happen that long ago in yeah. the book. Oh, true. It was like, like that was only. <laughs> That was like a week ago in book time. Oh God, I feel like it's just years and years ago in my real life. It does feel weird, but it wasn't that long ago in the book. I thought this was the group that was understanding. We never say just get over it to someone if you can't, if you're struggling with things. Yeah, I think what I really liked about- Oh, I'm not saying just get over it. I just think that Kaz has already, he's already like pressed his point so much for him to like, start for him to get into kind of that like nasty sort of like dig but i think this fight. is a different sort of fight for Je for kaz because okay. when you think about it like kaz does a lot of like being a catty bitch <laughs> and he does a lot of sitting there and being like yeah you should know better bitch and he does a lot of like sideways negligence to the people that he cares about but it takes a lot for him to come up and just be like direct confrontation like you suck you did this, you suck, apologize to our important people. And that's what really this was. And I think that was sort of like a big emotional step for Kaz as well, especially because this fight literally ends with him calling Jesper his brother's name. And while Jesper doesn't know that that's what went down, Kaz does, and we know what mm -hmm. they mean, we're like, oh, okay, no wonder he's taking this so terribly. Because this is like one, like... Like, with the exception of Imej, Jesper is pretty much the only person that he trusts. And yep. Jesper broke that in a big way. And I think it's one of those reasons that, like, you know, in the first couple, like, conversations that we had about these books, like, Tara, you were really talking about how you didn't like Jesper because of his gambling problems and how that was, you know. And, like, I feel like a lot of the reason, like, people might not like Jesper is because he does betray his friends. And in a way, like, friendship is, like, the biggest, like, tie in this book that binds people because these are six people and their only thing keeping them together is their friendship and their trust and their loyalty. And Jesper breaks that in a really big way. And obviously, even though he doesn't mean to do that, like, it's the kind of thing that if it happened in real life, like people wouldn't just not talk about it and it would bubble over and become an actual real confrontation eventually. And the fact that it does, like it makes a lot of sense. And I think the best part about this fight is the fact that not only do they fight about it, but it leads to a really great conversation between him and Enedge. And it leads to a really great, like in your face push about, hey, Jesper, have you thought about the fact that your gambling is hiding a bigger problem in you that you haven't, like, that you're using this to sort of hide the wounds? And that's a thing that most addictions are truly doing in people. And I think that if that pulling that into Jesper's character and making the gambling a band-aid for his own, like, emotional problems makes a lot of sense and is in a way like the most relatable thing that we have as a character too, because we all have like bad things and like bad habits. And like, sometimes we have even worse habits that we use to like sort of emotionally wrap ourselves together and feel better about our problems. And like Jesper doing that and being called out on it and then still being like, okay, I can try is really, really good. And I just, I really liked it. Cause it was like, oh man, look, we can all try it. And I just, I also really liked it because, um, so I don't normally bring up quotes at all, as in I never do, but um, 
there is like what like the part where right after all of this um Kaz basically tells everybody he's like hey Jesper betrayed y'all like you're the reason Enedge got stabbed and Enedge comes to him and she's like about to talk to him he's like I'm so sorry and she's like I'm not here for an apology and she basically goes on to say that did you know that the Suli have no words to say I'm sorry and of course they joke a little bit like oh but what if you step on someone's toes and she's like it's me I don't do that <laughs> but she continues to say we say nothing we know that the slight was not deliberate we live in tight quarters traveling together there's no time to constantly be apologizing for existence but when someone does wrong when we make mistakes we don't say we're sorry we promise to make amends mat en sheva yelu and I definitely butchered that, but it's a Suli phrase that she, that she says means this action will have no echo. It means we won't repeat the same mistakes, that we won't continue to do harm. I don't want an apology, not until you can promise that you won't keep making the same mistake. And literally, I love that so much because, because that's like Inej's really fancy way of just being like, we love growth in this house. And... <laughs> And it's just, it's such an important moment for Jesper to hear that. And it's so important for like, you know, people in general to be reminded of that, that like some like empty apologies are all the rage. Empty apologies are easy. It's kind of what the words I'm sorry gives you, but the real sorry is making sure you don't do it again and making amends for the bad that happened. And I just, I'm happy that somebody just came out and like heck and said it in words. With a fancy, with a fancy. Go off, Nami, yes. I'm making a happy grin. <laughs> Friend speaks yeah. my mind. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I, I like the comparison to when the, and that was actually, we had talked about this earlier. One of the, one of the uh, quotes that we wanted to discuss was Inej's conversation with him, you know, about like, the silly words for I'm sorry and uh or the the lack of them really mm -hmm. uh you know and and yeah that you're you're right it is very much her way of saying like hashtag we love growth in this house like mm -hmm. we're not asking you to say you're sorry we're just asking you to do better mm -hmm. let's like, you know we should be like reversible pins or something that one side says we love growth in this house and the other side says this action will have no echo yeah yeah just yeah i would wear the hell out of a pin that had like some like inej's knives or something that was very like evocative of her and then said this action will have no echo. I would wear the shit out of it. Oh no, I can't believe I need to get that tattoo. Yeah. Mm, shit. Yep. I just realized I'm not sure if we could curse, but I have dropped a many. Oh, no, we've oh. been cursed. Trust me, we have cursed Sweet. every single time. <laughs> okay. I had this fear that I wasn't supposed to because I remember no. like explicitly three F bombs. I mean, I feel like we are rated like a hardcore PG thirteen. Yeah. Like we're not like, we're, we're not in well, today's we, world, we're not really an R, but we're close. <laughs> aren't we only allowed seven per episode or something? Oh, I never TV said that. 13? Isn't there like a rule that oh, you're only allowed shoot, like seven oh, curses yeah. per, per yeah. hour or something? Yeah, Stupid I think like that's, that. a, yeah, that's a TV show or a movie for sure. 
Oh, we're yeah. way, we're always way above that. There's four yeah. of us and we go for we're... an hour plus every time, please. Yeah. I have one final Jesper thought before we get lost because we always do. Yeah. And I know we will. And I also will forget this one because it's a really good one because this reread made me discover or rather realize that Jesper and his father or rather, sorry, Jesper and his mother have the same taste in men. White <laughs> so true. I just, well, honestly, I had this revelation because specifically in yeah. the scene where he's kissing Kuwait by accident, he's like, oh man, he's so cute, but I miss Violet in his regular body with his red hair. So cute. And mm -hmm. I'm like, son, you talk like your mama. And I'm like, oh, no, he has the same taste as his mother. <laughs> uh, what a disaster, boy. Daddy issues. What a disaster, boy. I mean, are they daddy issues when generally your dad is actually a pretty awesome person? Like, not saying he's perfect, but. No, but, like, you're yeah. allowed to have, like, it doesn't matter how perfect a person is. Like, he's, he's still mess up in a way that's specifically not good for you, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that's another really good thing that I love about Jesper and his relationship with his dad and how it contrasts to Wyland's relationship with his dad. Because obviously Van Ick is like, the shittiest man alive. It's caught on. It's it's happening it now. Thing, but like, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things that Wyland is so justified to hate his father that Jesper has so much, you know, like angst in him about disagreeing with his father and fighting with his father. And I think part of the reason that he has so much inner trauma that he's covering with his gambling is because of that struggle that he knows his father is a good man that, and that he's loving and that he is objectively a very good father. And I think that's part of his struggle with having issues with him because it's very easy to look at a terrible parent and be like, you're a terrible parent. It's so much more difficult to look at a very good parent and be like, you're amazing, but in this one specific way, you've kind of failed me. And having that conversation is a really important and difficult thing to do as a child and as a parent in order to have a great relationship. But it's a different sort of struggle versus just a person being shitty. Also, yeah, this is sort of, you know, personal experience driven because my parents are literally amazing and perfect in every way, but they also didn't believe that mental health issues were actually a real thing. And I suffered from severe depression and felt the need to hide it from them because of that, because I thought they wouldn't believe it was real. And I also had been raised in a way that I didn't believe that my mental health issues were real because that's what they had taught me, you know? And all of this, of course, unnecessary baggage. It's like, seven years in the past, we good now. But the thing is that having that sort of conversation with a parent, especially when they're a good parent, is so, so difficult. And it could often cause a lot of guilt for feeling that way because you're like, they're good, what's wrong with me for thinking they're not good, you know? And that's never the truth. The truth is multifaceted and the truth is not that simple. And the truth is that Cole was a great parent, but he failed Jesper in some ways. And the truth is that Jesper is uh, trying to be good, but he's not good at times. and you know and that's that but where was i even going with this i got lost i wondered hello i'm back we got lost we got lost about Je like all things jesper which is fine yeah. it's like that kind of that covers like like jesper as a whole um i mean we, we can obviously continue talking about it if you guys have anything else to say about jesper specifically um i think i want to cosplay jesper now honestly you should <laughs> do it I mean, I like his outfits the best, but... They ha he has the best so. outfit. He clearly has the best style. 
<laughs> the most stylish boy. Yes. Um, so anything else about Jesper before we move on to a couple other discussion points? You good? Okay. I want to talk um, about this character that was introduced that like came out of nowhere and just like Dunyasha, like what is up with Dunyasha? Uh, that exactly that was like I, I mean that was one of the things that I kind of snuck into our recap was that she's like a red <laughs> herring plot device and like yeah it's 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 just this weird sort of insertion it didn't feel right to me the first time I read it it felt worse honestly the second time because I was like oh yeah this girl I had totally forgotten about her because she's pointless like because I already knew that she died and. It, She's literally just there to give Inej a hard time, sort of like Inej's slippers melt, like sort sort of like the 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 the, um, the the oven thing in 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 Six of Crows that they run like more recently than they thought. It's like there was no reason for that to have happened except to give Inej a hard time. So like, oh well, we can't have a burning oven where Inej's thing shoes will melt off her feet as she's trying to climb up it and she's the only one that can do this so like let's throw in this Dinyasha person who has apparently been trained as well if not better than Enage and also like has royal blood it, it's like a plot point in like two different ways because it's like we're supposed mm -hmm. to believe that she might actually have like something to do with Raka and if she hadn't died then maybe I could have like been a little bit more like okay fine whatever with it but she dies so like we she's literally just a red herring plot device to be like oh yes there are still other people out there like you know a vying in a way for the Ravkin throne against Nikolai and also like let's give Inej a hard time I, I just I don't like it well so that was actually one of the things that I really I love this book but one of the things I struggled with in this book in thinking back on it for this podcast is I don't feel like Inej got the kind of character arc one that she deserved or that a lot of the other characters got instead what she seems to have gotten is a lot of obstacles placed on her like being kidnapped uh that's not a an active role uh she was rescued, she didn't escape. Uh, she was scared that Kaz wouldn't even come for her if she was broken. And then she has to go up against this adversary who in many ways is her better because uh, Inej wasn't really trained. She learned on the streets and became this really amazing person as opposed to Dunyasha who is actively trained to be this kind of creature and ultimately she overcomes that and i think there's something to be said for you know the idea of dunyasha being her shadow and overcoming those aspects and things like that but at the same time to your point i do feel like it was kind of forced in there and it was kind of forced as like this is anesha's obstacle to overcome versus this is how Inej is growing from Six of Crows. And I feel like most of the other characters got that kind of growth and Inej didn't. So I kind of fundamentally disagree on that. Ooh, yes. Because, I love it. 
So I think that Inej's growth was very different from the kind of growth that the other characters had to overcome because mm -hmm. Inej starts off this series as kind of a very put together person. But I think that Inej's growth was specifically overcoming fear and coming to terms with the lack of control. So I think you are right. Like a lot of what Inej deals with is things that happen to her or things that are put in her path. But a lot of these things are things that she cannot, con but all of these things are things that she can't control. And as somebody who left her life in essentially a whorehouse where she had to give up all of her control and mm -hmm. overcompensated by aggressively retaining control in everything that she did, that the arc of learning that it was okay to give up control and that giving up control didn't mean giving up herself is okay. And learning to manage her fear in situations like that is also important because so much of Inej's journey is just, Inej is really strong. She's really capable. She's the best assassin. She's the best. She's got mm -hmm. And so much of her character is like, while Kaz is technically the person that's in charge and in control, Inej is really the one that you can pretty much know that when you give her this task, she will succeed. And I think the journey of coming to terms with being somebody that capable and having to deal with fear and having to manage it and having to deal with things out of your control is so very important. And that's why, although Dinyasha was also a meh, to me because I was like, all right, I see her as what she is, like a plot device to make Inej confront her morality and the things that she thought she had a handle on and like reevaluate that. And while Dunyasha herself and her story was kind of meh to me, I was like, I don't care about her, but I care about what it's doing to Inej. And I think she had very much a journey and an arc. And there's just, um, it hit me really hard on this particular reread because it was an audio reread and listening to somebody read the emotions that Inej felt while in Tante Hill in the menagerie was just mm -hmm. really uncomfortable and painful. And you really forget essentially what she has been through because of how strong she is. Like she was in sexual slavery for a few years. Like, yep that that is it and you kind of forget that and i think an important thing is that she never forgets that and you don't really see that with her unless she brings it up in her narrative and then the fact that it manifests in this hyper control of everything around her just that's how i read it and so i agree that she didn't have the same type of storyline and the same type of development as the other characters did but i definitely see that she had her own growth to be done and that did happen in a way that doesn't always seem like a journey because it wasn't as obvious as everyone else's but i still think it was like very much there you've convinced me good job yes. i mean nej also from my as i remember is the only one who sort of had a plan for her life post this from the get-go and that aspect indicates that she sort of was more confident in herself clearly she had her demons but she i, I never thought of her as as broken as some of the other characters 
Very fair. Yeah, honestly, for me, such an amazing part in Inej's story was like, so, you know, she has the whole part where she talks about her worth customer and how it was the man who had seen her perform as a child who remembered her and then proceeded to buy her body for a night and she couldn't disassociate from it. And then to go from there to the person who was still capable of love and free enough to see her parents and immediately run to them, despite telling her friends before that she doesn't know if she'll ever be able to tell them or speak to them freely about her time at the menagerie. <sighs> but just her willingness to love despite that, I was like, oh, I just like, it makes me cry. And it's just, oh, I love being hedged so much. I just want to keep the scene and away from whatever those weird animal lynxes or whatever they meet her dress as. You just want to keep her saved. <laughs> Also, on a lighter note, I would like <laughs> to point out how Enej and Kaz is the perfect romance for these ye old quarantine times because they're as touch starved as we are. An excellent point. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love Enej. Oh, um. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, other, I, I have no like really real like insight or thoughts on Inej's, you know, character arc or lack of it or anything like that. Um, I just, I just really just didn't, I just didn't like Dunyasha. I no, mean, I love her too. Did you know that there are actual Dunyasha stands like in the world who what? just explicitly love Dunyasha and do nothing else with their lives? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah <laughs> okay I, why <laughs> we, got, we got nothing from her and like we're getting nothing more so i'm i'm just i don't i don't get it I don't get terry it. You're you're like, hopeless laugh literally dead. Like, dude. yeah i don't get it the i just i didn't understand the fact that she was like i'm also daughter of a king Yep. Except for at the very end for Inez to just be like, bitch, I'm sorry for, I feel sorry for you. Because like beyond that, I was like, what's the point of her being possible royalty? Go away. Maybe it was just to be like this bitch psycho. I do think that that was part of it, honestly. Uh, I I got the vibe that you're, you, you're really kind of, she was set up as being kind of like, we don't know what the hell is going on with her, but she crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, she, she had no grip on reality. What's like, she, it's okay. She's like, she's a good assassin, but she had no like grip on reality. Yeah. <laughs> for the well, are we sure? <laughs> we don't know enough. We think she's crazy. We assume she's crazy. We assume that's total bullshit, but well, I'm, I'm, not, even no, I'm not even saying that it's true or not. I'm just saying that like, it's part of, we don't know what's true and what's not with her. Right. Yeah. And she's unhinged and which is part of what makes her so dangerous to Inej, right. Is, uh, and, and part of, I think to Nami's point, like part of that growth that, 
Inej does experience, which I'm now sold on thanks to Nami, is she was worried about being this, you know, about losing herself. And so seeing Dunyasha as her shadow, it makes sense for Dunyasha to be kind of an unhinged, unreliable kind of character. I just think it feeds into that. Mm -hmm. It's also really awesome to see a character who is an assassin who regularly murders in a fantasy setting be like, hey guys, murder's bad and I acknowledge that, but also like still would have done it to save my life and that's okay. Because like she's having a whole mm -hmm. moral crisis about how Dunyasha is just batshit crazy. He's like, murder people for my god or something like that. And mm -hmm. something along the lines of murder is good or acceptable, I guess. I don't know what's up with her, man. But so like having Inej have that like, you know, my saints might think I'm a terrible person for this, but I would still do it again and I'll still keep liking my saints and hoping that they like me and all I can do is keep on keeping on. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. All right, well, moving on from Dinyasha, because, I mean, she we've talked about her more than she actually exists in the book. You're right. <laughs> I seriously think we spent more time talking about her than it took me to read the chapters that she existed. Yeah. Um, all right. So the big, the big oomph. How do we feel about Matthias's death? Um, it gives you. It I mean, gives. Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, I mean it. It gives a little bit more of an adult feel to this set of books compared to the the first series, and rather than the pure young adult series that. And, but it was sort of. To me, it was it was a little predictable. I just I felt like he was the one character throughout the whole series that was disposable. And part of it is because we we start off hating him. Um, but other, you know, emotionally, it didn't hit me that much because I, fi I figured if someone was going to die, it was going to be him. So I, I want to take a quick moment to just say that the first time I read this book, when Matthias died, I felt a profound sense of relief that I wouldn't have to worry about what he was going to do or how he was going to betray Nina. And my thoughts are different now, but we know I tend to ramble. So if somebody else wants to do their thing first before I just steamroll everything, please do. Since we're already an hour and 20 minutes into the show. I mean, on the plus side, it gives uh, Nina a potential uh, weapon. There you go. Oh, also, my God. I, I do feel like Matthias as a character in many ways, to me, was more about Nina than he was about him. Uh, I think Nina's... I will say, Matthias grew on me a whole lot in Crooked Kingdom. Uh, he was still my least favorite, but he grew on me a lot over the course of the book. But I also feel like his entire existence was basically driving Nina and driving Nina's growth. And I feel like 
what cemented that for me was his death and Nina bringing him back and then realizing what her power was capable of and what he wasn't capable of and then letting him go because she knew it wasn't really Matthias. Yeah, but I mean, I can't remember which character it was that found her with him and was like, no, this isn't him. You have, like, because she. It's an edge. Uh, yeah, it is an edge. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. That, yeah, I should have known. Um, I, I, I feel like. I feel like if Inej hadn't been there to talk some sense into her, she wouldn't have. I think it might. I think it, it would have taken more time. Yeah, she might have kept yeah. her for longer in her grief, but I think she would have still come to the same conclusion because you know I the agree. thing that I remember very explicitly because I cared more about this death because I was reading it in Nina's voice and hearing it in Nina's voice this time, and mm -hmm. you know her specific thought is that when she brings him black back his eyes are black instead of blue. And those were in his eyes. And, you know, I think she did need Ina just push at that moment, but I think she still would have come, come to that conclusion that he's not the same. I agree. Yeah, I mean, so like we've all kind of, you guys kind of mentioned like it's his death was kind of the one that was like, I don't know, the most, I, I don't know, the most, like, the easiest to assume, the, the easiest to, to, to predict. What happened? predict. Thank you. Sorry. I'm, I'm tired. Uh, or, or whatever. Um, do, how do we feel about, because we've talked so much about Matthias and his character arc. Uh, and, and, and of course we see, um, we see him change, you know, at the, especially at the very end of Six of, Six of Crows, and we see him change a little more the first half of Cricket Kingdom, but most of the, you know, the, most of the evolving of his character happens in the second half of this book, and then he immediately dies. Like, do you feel like it was a cop-out? Do you feel like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I've always kind of, I've always kind of wondered about that, because it's like, I get this time. I absolutely, I felt robbed this time. I absolutely yeah. felt robbed because I think, okay, so one very important thing to realize is that we as a country are sort of in a different mindset now in that we've all done some very big growing this year, especially after the civil rights movements that have that started in the summer. We've had to do a lot of reevaluating of our own thoughts and a lot of growing as people. So I think a part of growing as a person is able is being able to recognize that growth happening in other people in literary format. And that's one thing that I really noticed on this reread. On my first read, I was very absorbed in just my intense dislike of Matthias and my intense fear of him. My feelings with him were between apathy and fear. And so when I was reading his POVs, I didn't care. I didn't really pay attention. Like, I'll really admit that. But this time rereading it, especially the chapter where he helps Jesper and Kuwait escape from the dregs that are mm -hmm. sorry, from the um, dime lions or whatever they're called when they're mm -hmm. trying to ambush them. And he basically takes, you know, military command of them and uses them and their Grisha power to save him and to Grisha. And he basically sort of comes to terms with the fact that like this, that this power is a weapon, it's a tool and that like people are what matters. And 
he basically has that revelation that he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm always going to be knee jerk, afraid of Grisha powers, but I can remind myself that a person isn't just that power and that they're still a person. And you basically see him start to do this in the rest of his POVs where he like kind of like where he goes on to just be like, oh, like Grisha power scary. Wait, no, it's beautiful. Grisha power scary. Wait, no, it's beautiful. And you see that sort of what I can't remember. God, I've been doing a lot of webcast things recently, so I can't remember if it was said in one of these previous ones or something else that I did recently. But you see that sort of mindset of your first thought. Oh, this was definitely somewhere else. Okay. So you see <laughs> that. So what people try to teach you when you're trying to grow out of unhealthy thoughts or incorrect assumptions is that your first thought is what you've been conditioned to believe or what society has taught you. Taught to you. Your second thought is you trying to be a better person. And so Matthias's knee-jerk reaction was always Grisha are evil, Grisha have fear. And as you see him in the second part of this book, you see him start to be like, wait, no, that's not true. This power is beautiful. Wait, no, that's not true. Grisha are not evil. And you see him actively do that in his POV. And you see him start to take those very first steps towards becoming a better person and towards starting that journey to growth. Because that, like, you know, that mental reprogramming of yourself, that's really, like, where the work starts. Mm -hmm. And I just felt so robbed this time. Because while, mm -hmm. yes, he was the one character out of the main six that could have died because killing off any of the other five would have been a big problem for other reasons. He was also the one who hadn't completed his journey because making the first steps towards growth is just that it's the first steps. And I felt robbed because I kind of like this time I wanted to see him succeed. I wanted to see the day where he doesn't think Grisha are evil first. I wanted to see the day when he sees a new Grisha and he goes, wow, that's so cool what they can do. That's not going to be easy. That's going to be a really long time. But, you know, there, the fact that we couldn't see that complete transformation just felt really robbing. And don't get me wrong, I still hate everything about the Juskrel. I hate everything that beginning Matthias stood for. Like, give me first first book, Matthias, and I will still kick him off a mountain. But <laughs> his growth was happening here. And mm -hmm. the fact that he dies before the growth is obvious. Oh, sorry, wow, speaking. <laughs> the fact that he dies before his growth is obvious, obvious enough, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, deep breaths, deep breaths, we're gonna do it. We're all exhausted. <laughs> the fact that he dies before his growth is obvious enough and explicit enough that somebody who truly hates everything he stands for can see that growth is a big, big failing of his story arc. And yeah, it did make the series feel more adult, the value of that young Druskel taking him prisoner and him being like actively imprisoned and the end of the book is just, we don't know what happened to Matthias. That also is a lot of potential for future storytelling, you know? And it's just, mm -hmm. it would be really cool to have seen how his growth could have continued back in the hands of the people who brainwashed him in the first place, you know? And that would have been, you know, but this is all, this isn't real. 
it, it basically I felt robbed. And, you know, I'm never going to like Matthias, but I can appreciate what his character was starting to do. And I wish I saw it to conclusion so I could have liked him in the end. But now well, I, I also I also feel like why why did it have to be him? Because to be honest, like my my biggest complaint is that it felt like he was just fridge for Nina. And I, I know that generally that term is usually used when women are offed, you know. Yeah, I mean or, or LGBTQ characters are offed, but, but like I, I, I like I get what you logically mean, but like it happens so rarely that I think calling it fridged is like yeah. It, it, yeah but, but I mean, but for real though, like it, it, it does really feel like it's just for you know. No, the fact that like, he dies and is like save the Druskel for me just seems like it just felt yeah. like a cop out and also a way to give a grieving woman a job, like sir. <laughs> Sir, you want her to save her witch hunters? Like, um, sir. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> like, sir. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, I was sad about Matthias yeah, dying in a way that I too. never expected. Both both times I read it, it's like I even knew it was coming this time, and I was like, oh, that's still. Yeah, I actually felt sad this time, which was wild. Never thought I'd have that emotion towards Matthias, but uh, here we are. Dang yeah. it. Everything's you know great. What that is? Ayo. <laughs> <laughs> like, like straight up the parallel I was drawing at his death was former Nazi soldier starts to become better, dates Jewish woman, dies in her arms and tells her to save the Nazis. Oof. Oh, Lord. Sir, sir, maybe, Oof. maybe no. She's grieving, sir. You've caused her distress. Please stop dying. Give her more emotional labor. Yeah. Please stop exactly. Dying. Emotional labor. That's yeah. Yeah, no, but like you couldn't really kill any of the other main characters because like objectively can't kill Jasper and Wyland because can't because don't don't kill your gays. That's happened too many times. Can't, can't kill Nina because then you're fridging. Can't kill Inedge because then you're fridging. I don't know why we couldn't kill Cass. Oh, can't kill Cass because he's a cripple. Don't, don't, don't kill your one disabled character. Don't kill your, oh, wow, two disabled characters. I forgot this. <laughs> we are surpassing the uh, inclusivity criteria in this book, but like maybe don't kill your token character, but like now we have two. So are they really token? Can you kill Cass? Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, like, I, he's got the limp, you know, from the broken leg and he's also, you know, struggling with PTSD and everything, but like, they're all struggling with something, including Matthias really. So it's like, out of all of the characters, I would say that you could literally only kill Kaz and Matthias. <laughs> so there better be a damn reason why Kaz is still no, alive. You could have killed Waylon, I think. Nope. He's you can't. Yeah, yeah, he's gay. But you had two gay characters, so I would have rioted if you killed Wyla. Like Wyla's so, the one person you can't. John, there is two problems with that one specifically. First of all, killing any side of a gay relationship in queer communities just it happens too much. So we're it happens every time. It happens honestly, every, time. every time. Stop killing them. Let let them just be queer and happy and alive. And the second thing is that everybody loves Wyland because he's adorable, sweet baby boy. And if you killed adorable, sweet baby boy, people would riot even more than they gave. Yeah, but that's well, why I mean, it would have. That's why it 
would have. Well, and he also has a disability. He also has a disability, and he also was already just such like he was just trashed so bad by his father. It's like it's like there's so many levels to unpack there that like. Oh yeah, he was a child of abuse. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get, you, I get that. If you hurt Wylan in any way, I will come for you. Like, <laughs> I will go through the book and just end you. But it's totally fine Wylan because, like, listen, baby. like now, like he convinced Alice to just live out her life with what is clearly the little silly music teacher's baby in yep. the lake house, and he's gonna. He brought his mom back to live in Ketterdam with mm-hmm. him in the Van Eyck house, and. <laughs> And like Jesper is helping him do the books so that you know he doesn't have to worry about that. And, and, and also the, teaching Jesper how to use the stock market and giving him an mm-hmm. allowance so he doesn't give him a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both. Yeah, it's it's all just. Oh crazy. my god! Wylan became Jesper's sugar daddy. <laughs> oh, is it a sugar daddy if he's like younger than him or the same age? Nope. It's be a sugar, daddy. a sugar daddy. Sugar child, maybe? <laughs> daddy is a state of mind, y'all. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 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 discussion questions in general the last chapter is pekka rollins like because he starts that chapter like seething over what was done to him and like how he's gonna get back at them and everything and then uh he finds his son in bed with a little stuffed lion i think that he didn't Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact plot points, okay. but like, so, you know, like, like Inej comes, Inej comes in and fucks with him, basically. So he, he comes in and she slices his chest and basically says, "That's the first cut. If you do any shit, I'll cut more." And he looks in the mirror and he's like, "Oh my god, she's gonna cut out my heart." And then he's like, "Oh my god, my son!" And he goes checks the sun, and the little stuffed animal lion that he always holds is gone and repent. Oh, it's a, there's a crow in this place, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was I was Yeah, I was I was laying out on the specifics of it. So like after that, Pekka's like, huh, huh, huh. but like, do we really is I, I mean I'm hoping this does actually mean he's done because there's still like that sort of hint at the end where he's like, you know, he's running, but also like, is he going to back or do we I think he's done for good finally? Like I think, I think go ahead, Tommy. I believe it because like Loki up until then, I thought he would have come back, but like Inej is scary, y'all. Like, like Inej is scary. I wouldn't come back. I think he's done. Sorry, that's my insight. It's not very insightful. No, 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 no. I mean, uh, the fact of the matter is, Kaz's story, while we, while we didn't get his story. His story started with Pekka Rollins, regardless of the fact that we got it in pieces throughout these two books. His story started with Pekka Rollins. So the fact that the whole duology ended with Pekka Rollins is, I think, you know, important. And I do think it needs, if, if this, if there is an end to this, it needs to be Pekka Rollins just giving up. Um but like, I mean, I I kind of thought he would have given up after he thought he had to go dig up his son before he was buried alive, 
you know, and, and he was still like plotting and scheming even after that. Oh my God. Here's why I love that. And why I specifically love the way that I think it ended is because it's a Nej. And a Nej gives Kaz that ending. Mm-hmm. In a very similar way to the way that Kaz gave her not just the ship, but finding her family, reuniting them. Kaz did all of those things. Oh, and buying her Inej, contract. Buying her contract. And Nej gave Kaz this gift. And that was to completely end Pekka Rollins. Yeah, I didn't read it that way, but dang, no, now I am. No, I'm yeah, you're right, though. It's but like I guess, in that way, is she paying Kaz back? And does that also end the Kaz and Inej story? I don't think it does, though, because her last section in their whole last conversation is that she's like, yeah, I'm going to hunt slavers, but like part of the problem is the buyers as well. And mm-hmm. those people are in Ketterdam, and I want you to work with me to take them down. And, you know, I think I think she's very much sort of, and, like, him bringing back her parents and then being like, oh, do is my suit good? Do I look good? Is sort of, like, saying that there is more story there and that they have more journey to make. And literally, Edge and Kaz made me horny for holding hands. And I think that, like, they're basically promising here that, like, they'll get there eventually and that they're going to keep trying for each other. And I think her doing this for him is sort of once again, a manifestation of her control of her need for control, but it's also once more her like trying to take care of him in the way that he took care of her. And I agree. And I think that it, it, brings them to more of a level of peers exactly as opposed to necessarily ending kind of any storyline or anything like that there's always been this kind of power dynamic between them mm-hmm. that i think has helped oh no he froze or whatever and I think this brings them to a level where they could become more. Yeah. I mean, that's going to take so much work, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. no. They've got, like, 20 more years of slow burn Yeah, happening here before anything happens. I read, I read a really cute fic where they basically adopt a kid but still can't hold hands, and I'm like, this is accurate. <laughs> that's a big move right there. <laughs> this is accurate. <laughs> And like, yeah, I, you're so right. Cause like that power dynamic, it's pretty much there the whole time and putting them on the same level of her essentially trying to pay back his debts and being like, you are a barrel boss. I am a pirate captain. We both powerful. We are not serving each other in any way. And I think that's mm-hmm. really important for like their relationship to progress well, especially for Inej, honestly. Yeah. The, the, the lack of servitude is very important for her. God, and I'm having so many feels about those. The same ways that the lack of, you know, physical, you know, touch is important. Yeah. I just want to give them both a hug. Like, if they wouldn't hate it so much. You can air hug. 
COVID, <laughs> like air hug, COVID hug with the mask on and everything. You know? I do not think Kaz is going to return an air hug. You would just stare. You'd be like, what the fuck? What are you doing? Um, now I need to write the COVID AU where Jesper keeps trying to air hug Kaz and Kaz is like, excuse ah! me? Like, what? No. Oh, they know the plague very well in Kennerdam as well. I know, right? Can we talk about mm -hmm. like, getting to that part of the story and be like, oh shit, I forgot there was a fake plague involved? <laughs> we can't talk about that because <laughs> we're already an hour and 45 minutes. I know, I know. Okay, so real quick before we like wrap up, wrap up, um, I just wanted to throw in like a couple quotes. One of them is Kaz talking to Wylan, and this this does harken back to some of the stuff we've already talked about, but where he says, you know, you're not weak because you can't read. You're weak because you're afraid of people seeing your weakness. You're letting shame decide who you are. Uh, think on it. It's shame that lines my pockets, shame that keeps the barrel teeming with fools ready to put on a mask just so they can have what they want uh, with no one the wiser for it. We can endure all kinds of pain. It's shame that eats men whole. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I think maybe the most important part of that is Kaz telling Wylan, you're not weak because you can't read. Like, and mm -hmm. and I, I he it's it's very harshly put, but the point is that Wylan is like that he has other strengths that he doesn't play to or straight up ignores because he's so like caught up in the fact that he can't read. Um, and it's Kaz's, Kaz's like horrible way of putting it, but it is still a good, a really good point. Um, there's also a lot of talk. I, I, I highlighted a lot of quotes about like the wanting what you can't have because I think that's a very big theme um, that leads all of them to the to the point where they're at, where they actually do work together. Uh, but um, you know, and, and and there's also a lot of Matthias stuff too, where you know, like he he still finds himself like cringing about the Grisha, but you know, he also he does really, especially after he convinces or, or after they are attacked on, on at the hideout and everything like, and, and he, they, they, they move out, you know, they, they, they save themselves essentially like, um, you know, him constantly telling himself that yes, it's a weapon, but you know, it's nature depends on who wields it. Um, there's just, there's so much good in this book. Um, like, I mean, even Inej, like, talking, like, like thinking about Dinyasha, um, you know, and, 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 like, how she really believed that she was Lansov heir, maybe she was, um, but, you know, every girl dreams that she, or really every person dreams that they're going to wake up and find themselves important, or, you know, having powers, or some sort of grand destiny, uh, you know, but there are a lot of nobodies and nothings and invisible people, and uh, they learn to wring magic out of the ordinary, and that's how you kind of live your life when you're not chosen, when there's no like royal blood, and when the world owes you nothing. There's, I don't know. There's just there's so many good themes in this book that get, I I I, I don't want to say get buried by the story because they don't 
but it's, it, I mean, gosh, it's just so hard to fit all of them into you know, mm-hmm. one, one webcast episode. So I don't know any, any, any last thoughts about, you know, the things this book brings forward or teaches us or, or does with the characters before we close. So I have a kind of big one. So this is specifically a quote from a conversation with, from Jesper's point of view with um, Enedge and um, Nina. So this is specifically happening when they're telling Nina that she can't go to hang out with the Grisha embassy because um, ma'am, you biased and you can't meet Mm -hmm. them. And she's like, well, it's okay. Like, Nina can go in my place, or Enech can go in my place. And Enech is like, mm, no, can't. And basically, Enech says, I love you, Nina, but the Ravkin government hasn't treated the Suli very well. I'm not interested in exchanging pleasantries with their leaders. Jesper had never really considered that, and it was clear from the stricken expression on Nina's face that she hadn't either. Enech gave her a tight hug. Come on. We'll get Colm to order us something decadent. And then they banter a bit and Jesper goes on to think, they went to find Colm arm in arm, but Nina's teeth were worrying her lower lip. She had been, she had to be used to Matthias criticizing her country, but Jesper guessed it stung more coming from Inej. He wanted to tell Nina that you could love something and still see its flaws. At least he hoped that was true or he was truly cooked. And so I love this for a couple things, for a couple reasons. Um, this specific theme has come up a lot in my life recently. The you can love something and still see its flaws because um, I recently did a webcast about how much I loved Bridgerton, but how many problems it had with racial representation. And the big thing about mm-hmm. that was you can still really love a series because I adored Bridgerton, but you can still point out its flaws and that doesn't make your love for it any less. And that was really important. Another thing that this quote really resonated with me was that the fact that Jesper hadn't considered Enedge's problems with this situation and that Nina also hadn't realized this as well is so important because it's a reminder that there are always things that we might not see in a situation that could be causing other people distress. And you're not a bad person for not seeing that. And there's nothing wrong with missing it. But if somebody points it out to you, you can give them the space and the respect to understand what they're saying. And it's important to know that, like, you know, everybody has those kind of like blind spots. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. part of existing as a person. And I think that, you know, this is literally like a three second section in the book, but I think it's just a really, it's two really important points wrapped up in a nice, tidy package that's like, you can miss people's struggles, but that doesn't make you a bad person. Just when you notice those struggles, try to help them and that you can love things and still criticize them and that you absolutely should. Which we definitely do a lot of love things and still criticize them. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was just like, you know, <laughs> most relevant for this entire <laughs> creation that we have spawned. Well, I mean, that, that and also like, like we've already talked about earlier, I'm just going to bring it back around before we close up. Like the, I, I still, my my favorite passage in this book is absolutely the discussion between Inej and Jasper, you know, where there's no Suli words for I'm sorry. And it's literally just do better. Mm-hmm. I don't want your apology. I just want you to do better. And that doesn't mean... 
that doesn't mean that a, an apology means nothing necessarily. I think, especially in our world, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. You know, this is a book as story after all, but um, you know, there, but there's also a huge difference between actually wronging somebody and, and just for saying, well, what do you say when you step on someone's foot? Well, we say nothing because the slight wasn't deliberate, you know, uh, you know, when we make mistakes and I think she generally means like all mistakes, you know, there might be some that, that require an I'm sorry, but the, the biggest thing is that we promise to make amends. And, and again, like we've already said, like this action will have no echo. Um, so yeah, I, I really like that. And again, I just think that so much of what happens in this book shows how much that we grew as a writer you know hashtag we love growth in this house so mm -hmm. we really do <laughs> so any last thoughts before we close up you guys this no. is just Lee Bardugo waving a flag that said guys I grew up <laughs> that is <laughs> not true all right all right well I'm gonna end the broadcast but thank you to everyone who stuck with us through the entire Cricket Kingdom discussion um whether you're viewing this webcast later or listening to it as a podcast um and hopefully hopefully you know if not next time but in the future we will have more to talk about in terms of shadow and bone news um i will i did just want to say that our poll did close and uh temeraire the temeraire series did uh win i am actually kind of i'm more excited about that than i thought i was because when i i actually hadn't read anything about the series before we even started these polls but now that i've read it i'm like really freaking excited about this because it's like dragons and alternate history uh, and the books aren't super long, so we'll be starting the Temerary series in May. Um, <clears throat> we did have some executive decisions that we made. Uh, after Temerary, we will be doing the Devabad, if I pronounce it right, Devabad trilogy. Uh, so, I mean, and this is like so far in advance because there's like nine books in the Temerary series. But again, they're all short, so I honestly think we could probably do most of them in one episode. Um, you know, and then after, after Temeraire and Devabad, then we will do the Magicians, which technically won second place, but that's also just a trilogy. Uh, and then after that will be Broken Earth. So we've got like a really good set up for the next really like year, honestly. Probably the rest of this year, yeah. At least the rest of this year, but honestly, I'm thinking to, through, into the beginning of next year, which is good mm -hmm. because I think some of the other series that. I really, really, really want to cover like Red Rising and um, the books of Babel. They're not going to have their next books out till 2022 at least. So, um, so I'm really excited. We've got, you know, another female author coming up next. I, I'm not, who wrote Dave Abad? Is it a male author? Yes. No. Male author? No, it's a female author. Like another female author. So maybe we should just, we're just like um, forever female authors. That's uh, <laughs> a Chakraborty. Bordy? Yeah, Chakraborty. I, I actually, uh, I, I actually read the first one and a quarter of the second one so far, and I really liked it. So yeah, I haven't right. heard of the second book yet, but I love the first book of Devabad. And... That's exciting. Our first three sagas that we're covering yeah. are all female authors. I'm really excited about. That. And if you, um, George R. R. Martin really liked it too. Oh well, if you care about such things. It's really good, and it really, the thing that struck me about it is that it's so different from most fantasy you read because it is set in the Middle East, and yeah. 
it solidly immerses itself in Middle Eastern culture and mythology while still being a fantasy story, while still staying true to that culture. And obviously, you know, I'm not Middle Eastern. I can't really say how true it is, but it seems to be very true from what I understand and from what other Middle Eastern readers have said. So that's exciting. It is exciting. All right. So yeah, so we will see you guys back actually in a week. This is one of the times where we're doing a short uh, split because we're doing just Language of Thorns next week. Um, and then uh, after that, we'll be starting on King of Scars. But yeah, so we'll see you guys back in a week for Language of Thorns, which I just finished rereading and I forgot how much I loved it. So I'm really excited to talk about it's it. Oh, so um, good. <laughs> And we'll also have uh, a special guest, uh, Seth, who was on our uh, holiday podcast or webcast about uh, the best Christmas pageant ever. So, all right. Well, have a good night, everybody. And we will see you in a week. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.